Holy Spirit of God, come among us, open our hearts that what we have heard read may guide our way and our being. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I would like to say thank you for the great privilege of being invited to speak at this service. Uh, I'm very grateful to the Rector of St. Margaret's and to the speaker's chaplain uh, and the speaker as for the invitation. I'm not absolutely sure, as you'll see, who sent the invitation, but it's got to be one of them. It might be the Dean of Westminster, but that's just too bad. <laughs> the second thing I need to say is a warning that the clock has stopped on the pulpit, which means I have no means of knowing how long I've preached for. I understand the house sits at half past 11, so we've got a while. <laughs> Over the last couple of weeks in thinking about this sermon, I've been trying to put myself in your shoes, but find it almost impossible to do. There are those who work at the Palace of Westminster in the Houses of Parliament in all sorts of different ways who are here today for whom this is yet another parliament one of many that they will have seen, maybe the second, or it might be far, far more than that, and no doubt sit here with a faint sense of deja vu and wondering who's going to be a problem and who's going to be helpful and all the various other things that running something as complex as the Houses of Parliament necessarily involves. They are pe the people on whom we all depend constantly and whose thanks, uh, who we need to thank daily. There are those in the House of Lords who have not gone through the election campaign directly but may well have been very heavily involved, not for their own seats but in others, or for the cause of their party. And then there are the members of the House of Commons. And I felt especially for them that the emotional impact of the hard work that is required for an election campaign, and I have family who have uh, fought campaigns, almost invariably losing them, to be honest, uh, on both sides, I need to stress that. Um, so I'm aware of the pressure it puts on people that the huge amount of hard work, followed by the sense of either exhilaration or disappointment that inevitably comes with the results, that is all very hard to imagine. There are many different emotions here today. And that is why the readings today have deliberately been chosen to pick up two moments in the Bible, both of which have much emotion attached. The reading from Jeremiah speaks of the consequences of God's judgment, and the reading from John's Gospel of what it means in practice to be a community of values with a moral vision. Jeremiah was a prophet of the 6th century BC in the kingdom of Judah. Judah had survived as a kingdom for half a millennium, more or less, but in the end, a combination of political miscalculation and other factors meant that the kingdom was overrun, and after a long and horrific siege, if you want to see what it feels like, read Jeremiah's Lamentations, the city fell. In two great waves, the leaders of the nation, those who had survived, were taken on a death march to Babylon. Jeremiah had prophesied the defeat, 
because the nation had fallen away from God's standards. And once the exiles were in Babylon, they wrote to him asking what they should do now. And one of the key parts of his answers is in that first reading. And in essence, those verses and the ones around them, his writing to the exiles at this moment of the deepest possible, blackest despair that we can imagine, his answer was this. You're going to be there a very long time. It's bad news. Settle down and bless the community in which you live. But these are the people who massacred us, you can hear them thinking. The circumstances in which you find yourselves are not a cause for despair, but for reflection on the past and a renewal of confidence in the God who is greater than all of history. And in fact, in due course, virtually uniquely among the people of that area, they were brought back from exile. The people of Judah suffered the consequences of their turning away from God to other gods, of seeking to find alternative values, not based in truth, in the absolute truth of the revealed God, but in what was convenient and easy. Their society had been corrupted by materialism as the ultimate aim of existence and by injustice and neglect for the poor. Let me be absolutely clear. I am not hinting or suggesting in any way at all that anyone here is guilty of such things. One of the privileges of my role is getting to know so many people in politics, and I mean that. And the more I do it, the clearer it is that almost everyone I meet seeks to do what is right, to make just decisions, and to serve their country with integrity. Views to the contrary are mere descents into cynicism. Yet the best intentions can lead to the wrong conclusions. First, Jeremiah says, we reap the consequences of our actions, and thus those actions must be based in a moral vision and in an ideal that is founded on eternal values that never change. Throughout the Old Testament, time after time after time, from Genesis to Malachi. Those values include justice for the poor, reaching out to the stranger, integrity without partiality in government, and a dedication to the flourishing of the whole community. And God is also saying through Jeremiah that even when things go wrong, which in all societies they will from time to time because we are all human, and let me say the Church of England is not one to lecture others on how to be perfect, God is still greater than our greatest failures. We have to seek to do right, but we can trust in the providence and salvation of God for the future. That is the promise made to the people of Judah, and thus they were to settle down amongst their enemies, to make the best of their situation, to bless the communities in which they lived, and to look with hope to the moment of their redemption. There is no coded political message in this. But there is a very uncoded theological message. God can be trusted, but we must do our part. And I know that that is the belief and desire of the vast majority here today. So pragmatism 
does not really work. Yet all politics is in the end about delivery, not merely policy. Stating policies is the easy bit. Making them happen is the deepest of skills. So pragmatism in the sense of shortcuts to avoid difficulty is not a good solution. It had taken Judah to defeat and exile. But pragmatism in the sense of being practical and down to earth, of making sure that delivery happens, is essential. In the reading from John 13, we see the greatest moment of holy pragmatism in history. The Son of God himself, Jesus, knowing confidently who he is, what he is intended for, and that God can be trusted, sets aside his pride and washes the feet of his disciples. The truest leadership is always about service. And note that he even washes the feet of Judas Iscariot, knowing that as he does, this is the man that will betray him to torture and agony within 24 hours. That truly is holy pragmatism. It is the pragmatism of love without limit, of unconditional love that reaches with generous, almost absurd grace to every person. Such pragmatism costs more than we can imagine and gains more than we can believe. And yet it is the pragmatism to which we are all called as human beings, but especially those of you here to be called as national leaders. So we have two moments. In the first of them, a nation in despair is told that God can be counted on despite all their failures. The failures matter. Actions have consequences but they are never the end of the story. God is. And secondly, the pragmatic holiness of God himself, washing the feet of his enemies, of his disciples, because he knows absolutely, although fully human, yet he is in the hands of God and need not fear either humiliation or defeat. The action of foot washing takes the tortured emotions of the disciples, utterly fearful of what is about to happen, and transform them into those who overthrew an empire with the force of love. The nation in which we live, which we love and serve, has within it at all levels a moral vision and hope. Its potential in a world of darkness to be a force for light and hope is limitless. We recognize, often, its own past mistakes, trust in God for the future and serve with humility, knowing that it is God who glorifies. My prayer for you, for all at the Palace of Westminster, all connected with the Houses of Parliament and with government, and it is a prayer that I pray daily with much affection for those who take on the huge responsibilities that you endure is for you to find the courage, the strength, and the confidence to lead us into what we can be. Amen.